welcome to All the WrestleManias. My name is Rich Sigwald, and I'm going to be your host today. There's been some shocking news out of the WWE with the possible uh, selling of the company to Saudi Arabian interests uh, just after Vince McMahon decides to come back. And obviously he came back to broker the deal, uh, but it is a uh, an interesting an uncertain time period suddenly now in the world of professional wrestling, specifically with the WWE. So with this in mind, uh, I thought it'd be fun to put together a little history of the WWE and go over its origins and just how it rose to what it is today. To do this, we would have to go back two generations to Vince McMahon's grandfather, Jess McMahon. So Jess McMahon, his real name is Roderick McMahon, and with his brother, Edward, he owned the Olympic Athletic Club in Harlem and, so, and booked boxing at several other clubs in Harlem uh, in the early 1900s. But boxing interests had started to wane, and so to maintain money, uh, they fielded a um, all-black professional baseball team called the New York Lincoln Giants. And they boasted having five of the best black baseball players at the time period, which they poached from Philadelphia and Chicago teams. Uh, the team was dominant in several in all of its competitions. They also eventually owned a casino called the Commonwealth Casino in Harlem in the 1930s. And they promoted mixed race boxing because it drew bigger houses. And they also ran an all-black basketball team called the Commonwealth Big Five, which dominated other professional teams as well. Uh, the only basketball team reportedly they could not beat uh, were the original Celtics. So Jess McMahon, in 1915, uh, started promoting wrestling at the Freeport Municipal Stadium in Long Island. And then he started booking also at Coney Island and Brooklyn stadiums. He also had partnered up with uh, Tex Rickard in the 1920s to promote boxing at Madison Square Garden uh, through the 30s as well. Now, Tex Rickard was a big-time sports person in New York City. He founded the New York Rangers. He pushed for the construction of, of the third Madison Square Garden. So he's a big deal. He's a big time, big time player in, in New York sports. But the real story here is there was another guy running around New York named uh, Toots Mond. And Toots Mond is basically the grandfather of, of the professional wrestling that we see today. So as a promoter, he reached out to Strangler Ed Lewis and his manager Billy Sandow. And they were, they were known historically as the Gold Dust Trio. Uh, they created something called Slam Bang Western Style Wrestling. Fans had gotten really tired of the traditional collar and elbow and the Greco grappling matches. That's what professional wrestling at the time was. He had the idea of introducing other things that are more spectacular, such as suplexes, arm drag takedowns, and mixing in boxing and other martial arts so that striking would become legal in professional wrestling as well. But Mon's biggest claim to fame is uh, the finish. So instead of, you know, the matches most of the time were fixed at that point. Um, but Mond came up with the idea that the entire finish would be choreographed and designed and uh, so not just the winner would be determined but the method of the wind would also be controlled and that would garner what is now called heat with the fans and draw in more interest 
So Mond formed a partnership with a guy named Jack Curley, who was the main New York wrestling promoter at the time. Curley became ill, and Jess McMahon slipped in, and McMahon and Mond would eventually take over control of the New York wrestling scene. So by 1937, you know, this is this is about the time that slam-bang wrestling style was 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 developed and many promoters had actually left New York to go places where wrestling was still more popular. But Jess chose to stay, and he maintained open contracts with wrestlers and other companies, which allowed him to draw wrestlers from the surrounding states, uh, such as as far away as Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Connecticut, and other states in New England. So he was drawing them into New York City to wrestle at Madison Square Garden. In 1953, Jess McMahon, Vince McMahon, and this Toots Mont guy put together the Capital Wrestling Corporation. Now, Capital Wrestling Form, uh, Corporation, known as the CWC, uh, was a boxing and wrestling promotion, and they were the sanctioning body for the WWWF, the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. Quickly after they formed, they joined the NWA, and, and their uh, main star, the nature boy Buddy Rogers, became the NWA world champion. Now, the NWA quickly got angry with the CWC because they were refusing to allow Nature Boy Buddy Rogers to do title defenses outside of the their territory. And that's mainly because Vince and Toots were his manager. So uh, if if the owner of the company is also the manager of the champion, of course, they're not going to allow them to, to go down to like the Carolinas or out to Chicago and lose the belt to somebody. So the NWA got tired of this, and they sent Luthez, Hall of Famer, Luthez, they sent him to New York uh, to shoot fight Buddy Rogers. And basically he said to Buddy, you can do this the easy way, or you can do this the hard way. And uh, Buddy Rogers chose the easy way. And at the time, championship matches were best of two out of three falls. Uh, Buddy agreed to do a one pinfall title defense and lost that one pen and so Luthez comes to town takes the belt from Buddy Rogers. Now in protest of this move uh, the CWC left the NWA and just started calling itself the WWWF and then they crowned Buddy Rogers as their new champion um, but just like a month after that they passed the belt on to Bruno San Martino and they began building the company around him. The WWWF was what was known as a face territory, babyface territory. So they mainly kept the title on the babyface and they brought in a series of heels that always challenged the good guy. That's normally not how most professional wrestling companies at the time worked, uh, but that's how they did. And that's kind of where the origins of the, the sweet family friendly version of professional wrestling, which WWF had put on for years came from. In the late 60s, around like 67, 68, Mont leaves the WWWF. And in 1971, after his departure, the WWWF quietly rejoined the, the NWA. Now in 1980, Vincent K. McMahon, uh, Vincent J.'s son and Jess McMahon's grandson, formed Titan Sports with his wife Linda McMahon, and they filed for the trademark on the WWF letters and logo. Now, in 1982, Vincent K. McMahon, Gorilla Monsoon, Arnold Scaland, and Phil Zacco put together a package to purchase the CWC slash WWF from his father uh, in a deal whose terms were very strict. So if a single payment was missed, ownership would immediately revert back to Vincent J. McMahon. And then in 1983, 
the WWF quickly withdrew again from the NWA and pushed to gain nationwide syndicated TV contracts. And this pissed off all the NWA territory promoters. You're running business in Chicago and then suddenly some guy from New York is putting wrestling on your TV. That's not, that's not cool, bro. So the WWF actually used all the money from these extra TV deals, tape sales, and advertising to begin poaching top talent from the other territories. And this includes people like Hulk Hogan, Junkyard Dog, Roddy Piper, Andre the Giant, Sergeant Slaughter. The list goes on. These guys were actually had already established themselves in other places, like Hulk Hogan was well-established out of the AWA in Minnesota. The Junkyard Dog was big-time in Mid-South Wrestling. Uh, Roddy Piper came out of Portland. And then, now that they put together this this ragtag group of big-time talent that was known, you know, in different parts of the country, the WWF began using that notoriety to tour nationally. They started leaving the, the Northeast and going other places. And this led them to try the big bet of putting on WrestleMania. And so, the WWF, though, had the idea of, instead of just putting together a supercard program, such as, like, Starcade that they would design the program to be more watchable and digestible by non-wrestling fans as well. So that's why Liberace, Muhammad Ali, Cindy Lauper, and the such all show up on the first WrestleMania. Following the success of the WrestleMania and the rise of Hulk Hogan, WWF actually secured a regular spot on network television with uh, NBC and its Saturday night's main event program. So this was the first time in over 30 years that pro wrestling was on national network television. They uh, did 29 episodes with NBC, and they were occasionally used as replacements for Saturday Night Live and were extremely successful. Now, in 1984, WWF would buy Georgia Championship Wrestling and its programming on TBS World Championship Wrestling, which was the name of the television show. It was very startling as a wrestling fan to turn on the TV and suddenly there's Vince McMahon introducing you to world championship wrestling it was very surreal but this did not work very well that the viewers were used to their rick flair and everybody that they would see with georgia championship wrestling and so then vince would sell world championship wrestling and georgia championship wrestling to jim crockett promotions which was the wrestling promoter out of the carolinas and pretty much the biggest member of the nwa long before the monday night wars the WWF had engaged in a pay-per-view war with Jim Crockett Promotions and the NWA. So after WrestleMania III was so successful, they scheduled the first Survivor Series to be on Thanksgiving night. And traditionally, that was the night the Starcade took place. Vince also then forced cable and satellite providers to only carry his program, Survivor Series, or Starcade. And this crushed Starcade's buy rate because WWF had started gaining notoriety nationwide while the NWA and Jim Crocker Promotions was still mainly known across the South. And so this actually forced the NWA to move Starcade to occur in December. Vince then pulled the same stunt with the Royal Rumble when he started those uh, to compete against the Bunkhouse Stampede pay-per-view. Eventually, NWA got desperate and even started the Clash of the Champions series of programming for free on TBS to combat WrestleMania 4. At this point, uh, Jim Crock Promotions is desperate to try and get as big as WWF to compete. With them being the strongest territory of the NWA, they start buying up other territories to try and, and just boost themselves and boost viewership. So they buy out Mid-South Wrestling, they buy Florida Championship Wrestling, and they buy Heart of America Wrestling and the Universal Wrestling Federation. 
So basically, Jim Cracker Promotions now is still using the NWA logo, but they've bought up pretty much every member of the NWA, and so they are just licensing the name NWA because that was so recognizable to uh, wrestling fans for ages that they're sponsored by the National Wrestling Alliance. They're sanctioned. You know, it gives credibility. But, you know, they shelled out a ton of money to make these purchases, plus... They were paying for like private jets to fly people like Arn Anderson and Ric Flair around to different places, paying huge amounts of money and contracts while they still had huge draws at the door. They're hemorrhaging money. And so they eventually filed for bankruptcy in 1988. And Ted Turner instructs his TBS superstation to buy Jim Crockett promotions and they rebrand it as WCW World Championship Wrestling. So things kind of stay at a stasis at this point. And then uh, WWF gets rocked by dual charges of steroid abuse and dealing and sexual harassment allegations in 1992. And this actually pushed a lot of the talent that the company had used to gain success in the late 1980s out of the company, including Hulk Hogan. And much of that talent would show up over in WCW. So tensions were high now. There's two wrestling companies and Vince has already done a lot of dirty stuff. Uh, so WWF now launches a new weekly flagship program. That's live uh, Monday night raw. And to answer this in 1995, WCW would start airing nitro at the same time. And they would battle over this time slot for six years. And for a decent period of that WCW would actually be winning. So in 1999 Titan sports would become world wrestling entertainment and become publicly traded on the New York Stock Exchange with the initial stock issuance value of $172 million. And now, at the same time, WWF had taken control of the ratings war, and Time Warner had merged with America Online. And this diminished Ted Turner's direct control over WCW, and the new company had absolutely no interest in being involved in professional wrestling. Time Warner AOL promptly fired Eric Bischoff, and chose to sell WCW's assets to Vince McMahon in 2001 for about $7 million. They had completely ignored an offer that came from Eric Bischoff and a conglomerate that he had put together to make an offer to buy the company and keep it running. Then in 2002, the WWF lost a long-standing lawsuit with the World Wildlife Federation and had to rebrand to WWE, uh, but they put a positive spin on it, saying that they're doing this so that they can focus on being a more broad concept of providing entertainment and not just wrestling. You lost in court. Then the WWE buys the bankrupt ECW, Extreme Championship Wrestling, which was the, before was known as Eastern Championship Wrestling in 2003, uh, making it now the largest wrestling company in the U.S. by far. It basically has no competition. And beginning in 2002, the WWE splits into two brands because it just has so many wrestlers and so much television control at this point. So they have a SmackDown brand and a Raw brand. And then in 2006, they added an ECW brand. In 2011, the WWE reunified until 2016 when it did another brand split. And then that brings us to 2019 when AEW shows up. So AEW is probably the next biggest competition to WWE, and they're really, it's not even close, really. But WWE, instead of having a Wednesday night war, because NXT aired on Wednesday nights, they just moved NXT to Tuesday nights, because, because I guess they have so much network sway that they can just move their programming whenever they want. 
And then in June of 2022, uh, Vince McMahon has to step down as chairman due to allegations of paying hush money to hide an extramarital affair with uh, some talent. His daughter, Stephanie, returned from a leave of absence to take control for him. Here we are in January of 2023, uh, Vince McMahon uses his controlling stock to retake control of the company to handle negotiations for media rights because they were apparently expiring in 2024 and also to hire JP Morgan to handle the possible sale of the company. And there are several prospective buyers, including Comcast, Disney, Endeavor. Endeavor was the company that managed the WWE network until the agreement with Peacock, Netflix, Amazon, CAA, uh, the huge talent agency, or the Saudi public investment fund. And this actually prompted Stephanie McMahon's resignation. Obviously, there could be serious repercussions with WWE if sold to the Saudi government, including what happens to the women's division. That's probably my biggest concern. What happens to talent control? There's tons of questions left from this. And it is apparently not finalized. It's just a deal in in concept. Um, so... We know from the past that those things can fall through. It'll be interesting to see if, like, the concept of selling to the Saudis would anger or upset some other um, rich American and prompt them to step in with a counteroffer or something like that. Um, we don't know. And the wrestling future is uncertain now, as it always is. Or it's a complete work. That's always my guess. I hope you enjoyed this recap of the WWE history. And hope you keep listening and please follow us on social medias. We're all the WrestleManias on Facebook at WrestleMania pod on Twitter. Check out our website, www.allthewrestlemanias.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Bye-bye.